0: are welcome to go to Children's Church. And you'll find my text on page 8 of the Bulletin or in the Pew Bible. From 2 Corinthians, hear God's word through the Apostle Paul. For what we proclaim, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing knowledge belongs to God, and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, death is at work in us, but life in you. we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look to the things, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, this is your word through your apostle. Gracious Lord Jesus, this text talks about dying with you, being raised with you, With you, the life giver. Holy Spirit, we need your help to understand this difficult text. And I sure need your help to preach it. So be with us. And Lord, please be with uh, that group from this congregation that's serving right now in Hill Haven, taking your words of life to those shut-ins in that place, the Kenyans and Matt Beckman, and Wade, and others, some of our children serving there. So bless your word, here and there, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, when I got this assignment to preach, it didn't come with an assigned text. It didn't come with an assigned topic. That's normal. But it makes life difficult. (laughs) So, what am I going to do? And um, I had preached uh, with, I thought, prophet to myself, if not to you, last in the fall of 2017 from a few texts in 2 Corinthians. So I thought I'd wander there again and see if something jumped out at me. And something did. The phrase, wait of glory jumped out at me and somehow i remembered that cs lewis had written a lecture or sermon about the weight of glory and i thought well let's explore that strange turn of phrase weight of glory it didn't take long to figure out what was going on there i reread the text for you verse 17 near the bottom for this light Momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What does weight mean there? Well, this is a carefully composed letter by an apostle who in person appeared insignificant not impressive at all, but who wrote weighty letters. You see, the trouble that Paul was addressing in this whole letter is that the church he planted in Corinth is giving him lots of trouble, denying his authority, denying the gospel that he has preached to them, some of them, and there were intruders that had come in and made light of Paul's qualifications, made light of Paul's uh, abilities, and poked fun at him, really. And Paul was in the position of not wanting to, defending him, to defend himself, but needing to defend himself in order to defend the gospel. But he did have lots of trouble, which is... And another way means lack of success. And don't you want successful leaders and successful preachers? But he didn't seem to be having a whole lot of success. So he had to deal with this issue of all of this trouble that he went through. And so he comes to this particular verse, verse 17... One of the commentaries I read writes, few verses from the pen of the Apostle Paul come with such spiritual impact as this antithesis in which he contrasts the present age with the coming age. Let me read it again. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, light affliction. Let me read you about some of this light affliction from the very same letter, a little bit later. Chapter 11. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death, five times I received from the hands of the Jews Forty lashes, less one. Five times. Three times beaten with rods, presumably by the Romans. Once I was stoned, left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. We read once about it, but he says it three times. A day in the night I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? who is made to fall and i am not indignant light afflictions momentary afflictions what's Paul doing he's comparing them with what he calls eternal weight of glory so that phrase weight uh, weight of glory it's the opposite of light And as Paul says, light afflictions. I think he was thinking of what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 11, where Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Paul thought his burden was light. Is that real? Only in comparison. And what Paul is doing here is asking us to look ahead. To look to the next world. To look to the promise, the hope that we have. Christ Coming again to resurrect you with him and be presented to your Savior. Are you looking forward to that? Can you really pray, Maranatha, earnestly? I suspect you have some trouble. And the reason I think you have trouble is because I have trouble and I am older than most of you and I ought to know better. You see, it's very easy to get wrapped up in the things of this world good things, proper things, real blessings given by a gracious, generous God. We're so grateful for the way in which the Lord opened the way for us to leave expensive New Jersey and move close to our grandchildren. I mean, he was extraordinarily generous. We had never expected that. The way was opened. So, what are my hopes now? I have to fight to make them being present with God. they rather that next family gathering, that next project, and so forth. So, you know what needs to happen? Something must stir me to look to glory. Something must make me dissatisfied with down here. And God knows that. And he knows it for me and for you and for everybody. And so what does he do? He sends suffering. He sends trouble. And as he sends that trouble, he does it in such a way that you recognize your weakness and God's strength. And take your minds off the present light, momentary affliction, and put them on the eternal weight of glory. Now this text, this whole letter, goes into detail about that suffering that is here. And I read you a portion that is really, well, I actually read you two portions when I jumped ahead to chapter 11, but I've read you this portion from my text here which is emphasizing our call as the people of God to die daily as Paul says it in First Corinthians 15 I die daily Jesus said take, if anyone wants to be my follower he must take up his cross her cross and follow after me we're to deny our own desires and our own uh, ambitions where the claims of Christ or Christ's people call us to pay attention to them instead of our own desires. This is what the text is about. Now, let me suggest to you that there are several ways... In this text that we can several several reasons are given in this text to give us the motivation to look to the hope of glory that we have. First of all, it's this powerful one in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure? The treasure is described In verse 6, God has shown into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We, as believers, have understood that God forgives us our sins in and through what Jesus Christ has done for us. We have come to understand that God's glory is to forgive. God's glory is to receive and establish a relationship, a, a loving relationship with sinners who turn to Him. God's glory What is it? Can we identify the absolute center of God's glory? Probably not, but I think it comes about as close as this. The glory of God is that eternal love relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Each one of them loving the other two. And Serving the other two, and giving to the other two, and that glory has been put into our hearts. It's an enormous treasure when we get grip uh, uh, get get a grip on it. But where is it put? Jars of clay, earthen vessels. Think uh, th- those that cheap pottery pot that you buy from. Well, actually, Home Depot's doesn't look that cheap anymore. They've somehow perfected a way of not making it look like it will uh, fall apart really easy. But if you if you can think back to the old days when the when an earthen pot really was about to fall apart if you didn't gingerly handle it, think that. Think those. Jars, those earthen jars that perhaps Gideon's 300 reduced his, 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 uh, <clears throat> his meager forces reduced to only 300 people. And they stuck a torch that smoldered inside a clay pot. Until the time was to break the pot and let the light burst forward and blow their trumpets. And the glory of God would then protect the people of Israel. Think Something really fragile. Now, some of you know you're fragile. And some of you forget it. What we need to do is remember that we're all fragile. And when the suffering comes our way, yes, God knows we're fragile. But we rejoice in this light that has been put in it. And the fragility is shown in the next verse here. We're afflicted in every way. Actually, this is a spatial metaphor. Think about this. We're crushed into a narrow place, but we're not crushed. In other words, we got some wiggle worm room left. The next one, perplexed. Yeah, we are at our wits' end. But even though we're at our wits' end, we don't actually give up. And the third one, persecuted. That's the metaphor of a hunt. You think of those foxes running away from those hounds and the, uh, those men on the horseback. And the uh, fox runs uh, for its life. Um, that's the metaphor there. Hunted down as Paul and our early Christians were. Hunted, pursued, but not abandoned. Think about Elijah running away from Ahab, having to leave the land of Israel and being not abandoned by God who provides the widow of Zarephath to keep him alive with food so then then the next one struck down but not destroyed that's the kind of a from a boxing metaphor the uh, one boxer is knocked to the ground but is not knocked out it's that kind of, the, the apostle paul is really quite clever in the way he has put this together uh, his letters were weighty so why is this all happening so that the life of jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We are carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus. As Paul said, I die daily so that the life of Jesus. And how did that happen? Well, in the midst of Paul's persecutions and all of that list of things that uh, that happened to him, he continued to plant churches. The gospel continued to go forward. And he was able to share the light of the gospel, of the knowledge of the glory of God with many hearts, souls. And the spirit worked in their hearts to draw them to believe. And so life was at work in them. Does that work for us, ordinary people? Does that work for Stan fighting leukemia? When he goes into the hospital and he makes it an opportunity to share his trust in the Lord Jesus, to pass it on, that's life available to go to work and those that serve him there in the hospital room. So, let's go on. One way that you can look forward to glory is to remember. Actually, this is not supposed to be a sermon on humility, that I'm in the same context as Mike. But really, it is a call for humility. Your jars of clay. But the next thing, Paul writes in verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and we also speak. A portion of that psalm, Psalm 116, was read for you this morning by John Daly. In that psalm, the psalmist talks about being persecuted. He talks about his suffering. He talks about his troubles. But he also talks about how God comes to his relief. If you're fighting um, persecution, if you're experiencing suffering in this life, and it will be the case for all of us, the thing, one of the things that you do is you go to Holy Scripture. It's happened to others, God's people in the past. And that's what Paul was clearly doing. He was drawing strength from the Old Testament Scriptures to deal with what God put in his path right then and there. And he puts now before us yet another topic. In verse 14, This really struck me as I was reading it. Verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. We're going to be presented. There are some cultures where they make it a big deal that you get presented to society, especially young ladies at a particular age, you get presented to society. And it's a big deal. You get dressed for it. You get taught the manners and so forth. Presented. Do you know that every one of you who is trusted in the Lord Jesus will be one day presented to your Savior? Do you think that you're going to be able to hide in the woodwork? Do you think that you're going to be able just to to dissolve in that enormous crowd of witnesses? Jesus loves you. He wants to see you. You're going to be presented before him. It's what Paul said to these churches. I'm jealous for you. I want to present you to your Savior, Jesus. The, met- the, the, the metaphor here is, of course, the wedding metaphor. We're the bride of Christ. Corporately, yes. Individually, too. We'll be presented to Jesus. The Apostle John, in his uh, first letter, he points out, that one day Jesus will appear again, and then we will meet him, and we don 't want to be caught unawares; we want to be expecting that day we want to be following him, we want to be serving him there's another um, there 's another good reason uh, to uh, uh, deal with your suffering. Uh, here in a godly way. Let me take you back to the very first verse that I have in the text there. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Um, Now, that is uh, perhaps fairly easy to write. But the next clause that Paul writes is rather remarkable. With ourselves as your servants. These people, some of them, wanted to get rid of Paul. Uh, They wanted uh, Paul uh, to disappear as a leader. They didn't trust him anymore. They didn't respect him anymore because he didn't look good enough, because he didn't look successful. And Paul says, I'm your servant for Jesus' sake. You see, every one of us is called to be a servant. And our suffering enables us to serve in a particular way. Sometimes the very service itself is the suffering. But very often, the suffering is an occasion to communicate the nature of God's goodness and God's mercy and grace to you in another way. And as you do that, you serve that other person. In fact, I would suggest to you, as I did to my own dad when he was uh, facing um, lymphoma and had days to live or weeks to live, your job now, in this context is to show what it's like for a child of God to prepare to meet their God. You serve. And it was in the context of a, a, a summer string camp that his, that my stepmother put on every year. And my father wanted to be just gone and out of the way so that she could concentrate on that very important uh, week of every year year, the string camp. And uh, he wasn't gone yet and I challenged him if God gives you strength serve those kids that are getting violin lessons from your wife Get, serve them by the way that you end your life. Your servants were servants. But let's go on here. There's another metaphor here. It's actually in um, verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our outer self, Paul's body, was hurting badly. I don't think he was very old by our standards when he finally was martyred uh, for the sake of Christ, but he certainly uh, was growing weak and as have many of the saints in past generations at a much earlier age than many of us do. Our outer self wasting away, but together with the outer self, that's our bodies, uh, that's our, our our. Earthen jar, nature, wasting away. But our inner self is being renewed. I don't know that we can actually say this is body and soul. Because we are a composite of body and soul. And it's not just our soul that's being strengthened. It's us. Our person is being renewed day and day by day, even as our bodies are wasting away. And uh, this is a way of acknowledging that God is in control of these things. So, uh, we come then to the uh, final uh, point here, that... uh, what, what, what um, Paul is asking us to do, to understand that uh, our light, momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. This preparation, this word prepare, uh, sometimes it's translated working out, sometimes it's translated achieving. Sometimes it's uh, translated producing. Who's doing the preparing? Who's doing the producing? Who's doing the achieving? Well, it's God who's working in and through us. It is, we're told, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. It's God that's sending this trouble to you. This trouble may have come because of something you did that was not right. But not always does trouble come that way the Lord Jesus with his disciples came upon a man born blind. And the disciples said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither he nor his parents sinned. But this happens so that the glory of God may well be revealed. There is suffering that comes our way, not because of what we did that was wrong, but suffering that comes our way because God wants to glorify Himself through the process. In my experience, the suffering in the relative peace and religious freedoms of the places where I have lived, mostly the U.S., has been more likely to be found in congregational life than in the outside world. This is not to deny that it's out there in the outside world too. But our God knows we need to suffer to take our minds off, our hearts off this present world and to put them on the world to come. And our God sends us suffering in many different unpleasant ways. That's redundant. <laughs> uh, but the bottom line is expect suffering, expect trouble. Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation. And from our first days of marriage, in the first congregation we were involved in, a teeny little Freie Evangelische Gemeinde congregation in southern Germany in the early 70s, we saw trouble. And it couldn't be easily identified with sin, but it sure was easily identified with earthen vessels, clay pots. Misunderstandings. Failure to adequately stop, think, listen, care. Suffering comes in the province of God. And we are to take that suffering and use it to bring life to others even if we have to swallow it, as it were, ourselves. That's what this text is saying the Apostle Paul did. That's what this text is calling all of us to do. This is clearly Paul's description of what he's gone through, but this we is not just Paul and the Apostles that have light momentary affliction. It's all of us. And all of us are to look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. All of us are to take the suffering that comes our way and to compare it with the glory that is promised. All of us are to take the suffering that comes our way and to recognize that this Will enable each of us to be presented to our Savior as one who brought life, life that was given to you, to me, but we've passed it on. Douglas Kelly, writing on this uh, sermon on this text, says uh, that he was shocked as a young student in Edinburgh when he heard a preacher. Scream out, Christ is in you, and he wants out. Referring to this text. The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's in you. And it comes out. It comes out when you handle the suffering that God sends your way in a godly way. Remember, you and your neighbor, your clay pots, your earthen vessels. Remember, you serve the suffering servant who makes you a servant of all of his sheep. Remember the present blessings that in the midst of the suffering that comes your way, he gives you strength to persevere. Remember that you will one day be presented to the Lord of glory in eternal glory. And your sufferings will look light in comparison. Let us pray. Gracious Father in heaven, how we thank you for our Savior. We're going to go to the table just now. We're going to remember what He did for us. Heartily light.